from the valleys of Tennessee and bursting through the outer reaches of perceived reality. You are now listening to the Far Side Podcast. And what a magnificent program we have lined up for you this evening. On today's edition, we have on a man by the name of Frank Mares. Frank at one time was a devout atheist, but somewhere along the way, Frank took an unknown path in search for answers about the consciousness, and he found himself traveling down the reincarnation highway, and he details that journey in his book called My Journey Down the Reincarnation Highway. Have you ever contemplated what the consciousness truly is? Are we the sum of what and who we are in the flesh? Or are we a more evolved being of knowledge that is somehow still partially connected to that universal Wi-Fi network that's surrounding us everywhere, and yet we don't realize it's there? Are souls recycled in much the same way that water is recycled here on the earth? And, and, and exactly how many souls are there? Is there an infinite number or are the number of souls already predetermined? And after this number, there are no more souls created. Now, these are questions that Frank may be able to bring to light for us today. And Frank, welcome to the far side. Well, thank you. I, I live on the far side, so it's going to be an actual <laughs> official radio show. <laughs> yes. Uh, Frank, I've been reading your book and I just started chapter 14. The words that you've put to the pages have truly worked at speaking to many who have read the book at such a deeper level than just mere words to put to paper. As a matter of fact, after reading each chapter, I found myself envisioning many of these events as though I've been sucked into a thin layer of time passed by as a spectator watching these events unfold. You know, that, that's a great way of putting it. You know, and all of these 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 events that that you're alluding to, you know, are really reviewable after you leave this life. And so, absolutely, that 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 makes a lot of sense what you said. And you know, after reading this book, my marker zero pretty much started that you were an atheist. Yep. What was it that brought you to a cross point in your life where you stood as a lifelong atheist? Considering the aspect of an afterlife. Well, the answer was, you know, the term God smacked. Yes. I got smacked by God. <laughs> <laughs> I got grabbed with a collar and said, I'm here and here's the proof. You know, I'm one of those guys that, that was always skeptical, you know, and, and, and not that I, I discounted other people's beliefs. You know, hey, it's whatever you believe in, that's cool with me. It's just that I, I wasn't going for it. I, I just saw the inconsistencies of, of uh, organized religion, how there's it just doesn't match with science. And I go, hey, this doesn't make sense. There, there's something else going on, but I wasn't buying into it. But then, uh, you know, a certain time of my life, I was open to it, and the universe gave me the answers. They allowed me to peek behind the curtain to see how this whole thing actually works. And how do they do, how did this, the universal entities speak to you to show you these, how things were truly working? Well, you know, they, they lead you into it. Uh, you know how this whole game is set up is, is we are all spirits. We're not really human. You know, we, we, we are, we are energetic forces of consciousness that are, are, are in meat bag bodies. And, uh, and so we come down here to play a 3D video game. 
And But before we come down here, we have a, a, a predefined mission or things we want to work on. Uh, for example, in, in, in my life's prior lives, you know, I had self-esteem problems. But that would worked out bad for the world because I was a big, powerful guy. And so if a big, powerful guy with self-esteem problems, other people get hurt. Oh, yeah. So, so I came down here to, to work on that. And, and so they would set up the video game, if you will, and program it. So I would be tested in every way that I needed to improve that certain aspect. And that's not the only things you work on when you come down here. You, you, but you sort of, it's like a class, if you will. Huh. Uh, uh, an immersive, uh, well, absolutely immersive class that you come down here on Earth to, to uh, do. And, and if you goof up, if you mess up, it's okay. You know, you just come back to class the next life. And, and you keep doing it until you get it right. And, and, and that's what it's all about. Yes. And actually, I was looking through your timetable here. It looks like you've had seven terrible deaths where you were assassinated or somehow killed. That is true. Wow. I'd be pissed. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was both pissed and depressed. I mean, imagine it, Bob. Here I am an atheist. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what really sprung this whole thing was my dad's death. Hmm. Who, who I found, you know, in my spiritual journey, this, this spiritual journey in this book ends in the spring of 2012. But I kept have kept right on going with my journey. There's enough that there's another great book, I think, of interesting book coming out. But I've learned so much after the end of the book. But this whole thing started with the death of my dad. And I've learned that my dad is really one of my soulmates. Hmm. And soulmates doesn't, you know, people use soulmates in, in books like, oh, he's my soulmate. You know, it's, it's a special love. Yes. No, that's not it. What it is is that souls are born into the universe in like, uh, in like groups, you know, like triplets or septuplets or, you know, sextuplets or whatever. I mean, and so you're born in groups. And so, uh, and you have this tight, tight bond within this group. And it doesn't mean that you don't reincarnate with other souls. But you can kind of reincarnate with your, your soulmates, and you kind of change places, and sometimes you're the father, sometimes you're the son, sometimes you're the husband, sometimes you're the wife. But after a lot, many lives working this together, the bond is so close. And, well, my dad was my soulmate. I just found that out. But his loss led me to say, there's got to be more out here. And, and so that's what started the process about me being open about me, uh, you know, searching and and eventually finding meditation uh, as, as the key that unlocked this whole thing, which allowed me to get messages and get information from the other side to see what this 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 whole worth is all really about. You just mentioned that souls are born in groups. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, how many souls are there? I had at one point considered that maybe there were a limited number of souls that. Once they were created, that's it. But souls are born in groups. They're created in groups, or what? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it like 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 a think of a, of a hospital. You know, we are all sparks of the universal consciousness. Mm-hmm. We're all sparks of God, and so wherever wherever we come to be, wherever we split off from God, we start split off in little like little groups, if you will, small groups. Okay. And so we're like. A, and so it's like a hospital, you know, a maternity. And so here's, here's a group of triplets, and here's a group of quadru- quadruplets. And uh, but but the amount of souls are are you know uncountable. Yes. Ah, okay. Um, you were mentioning meditation had led you to where you're at right now. 
exactly how did you get into meditating and how did that lead you toward finding your lives? Well, what it was all about was uh, I wanted to prove that your consciousness can leave your body. You know, it's, you know, if there's an afterlife, the only way you could do it is if, is if, you know, something leaves after your body's dead. And though I didn't believe it at all, I was, hey, I got nothing to lose. And so in my readings, I said, well, you know, I, I read about out-of-body experiences. I don't know if they're true or not, but the way that the people got to them was through meditation. And, you know, I, I had nothing to lose, so why not try it? And so one it was like in January of 2009, I remember, I decided to start doing it. And uh, I, I, I quickly developed the capacity to do that. And, and what that's all about is simply blanking your mind. Don't think. Easier said than done. But I, I developed this technique where I would order the thought out of my head. And it was like a, a, a tennis ball you throw against a garage wall and, uh, or a garage door. And, and the more you tell the thought to go away, it, it, it bounces back, but it bounces back slower and slower and slower until eventually it, it stops. So I developed this, this mental technique. And uh, things started happening fairly quickly. Um, you know, when you do that, your, your brain frequency changes. And your brain is, is, is kind of like a radio. Most people, you know, 99% of the population, they're, what they perceive is just this three dimensions here. And that's all they, they hear and see. But if you can train your mind through meditation, you develop like an additional tuner in your mind. And it's like downloaded into your mind. And you can then raise your vibration to where you can start tuning into messages from other dimensions. And other dimensions is where heaven is. And so that's where the spirit world is. So if you can connect to them, then then you got it made. And so the, the process was is that um, my body would start, you know, on its own, start moving on its own. My head would roll, and I would just let it do its thing. And I'd have these uh, visions of, you know, pictures, which is what happens when you get into the uh, theta phase, when you're, you know, it's kind of similar to falling into a deep sleep, where you fall through these different phases. And so when you're in theta phase, that's kind of like where your dream phase is. So I'd see pictures, but I was still awake. Uh, but after a couple of times, um, uh, well, before I, I got the actual messages, I got what I asked for, you know, uh, which is an out-of-body experience. And, and you, you got to that part in the book, didn't you, Bob? Yes. Yeah. So it came out of a dream. And a lot of out-of-body experiences start with dreams because when you're in dream state, you're really, your mind, your consciousness is not in this third dimension or these three dimensions. It's in the fourth and the fifth dimensions. And so that's where you kind of spring out of your, your, your mind and your body is in those dimensions. So uh, this one dream I had, I, I meditated and I went to bed. And uh, then I had this vivid dream. And I mean vivid. And I was laying in my bathtub and I was reading a book. And I'm still an atheist at the time. And in this book, a child dies. And, uh, and the parents are really upset. And, and I said to myself in this dream, I said, well, that's okay the parents will see this child in heaven after they die. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm an atheist. What am I saying here? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and as soon as I said that in the dream, something grabbed me underneath my underarms. Wow. And I actually felt it, two hands underneath my underarms. And it set me up. Yes. And, and, it, and my, my arms were, went straight up like a, like a touchdown, like a referee would make a touchdown. And I don't know what the hell was going on, but I said, 
I said, wee, you know, like I was on a roller coaster. <laughs> and then these hands just stand me up in a bathtub. Mm. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And next thing I know, I am flying through the ceiling and went right through the ceiling like a hot knife through butter. But I could see, I go through the attic, I could see all the joists in the attic, and then I go shooting right out the roof. And next thing I know, I'm 150 feet over my bedroom roof. And I look down and I go, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then I look up and the stars are so brilliant. I've never seen the stars so brilliant like that. I was like in a different world. And then I had the old crap moment, like, you know, like, like the Wile E. Coyote when he runs over the, uh, yeah. the cliff. All of a sudden, <laughs> I realized where I was and, and I fell back on my bed and I woke up and I looked at the clock radio and it said 307. And that's why my book, it, there's the clock says 307 because that, that's when I went out of body. Ah. And I go, and my body's freezing because I, 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 I read before that, that when you go out of body, you know, the soul leaves the body, the body's cold. Hmm. I was freezing and I was, I'm never cold at night. And I go, what the hell was that? And I could, couldn't go to bed for an hour. But I found out later, I had my out-of-body experience. I asked the universe to prove that your consciousness can, consciousness, consciousness can leave the body, and it gave it to me. And there it gave it to you. Just slapped you upside your head and said, here. There you go. There you go. I had a similar experience. Of course, this could have just been a dream, but I had somewhat of a similar experience. This happened back in 94, right before I graduated high school. And in this dream, I was outside the house. It was nighttime. And I went around the corner, and there was a man that many called Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I quickly just bowed down before him. I said nothing. It was just like I was in this presence of this person that everybody knows, and somehow I just could not say anything. I just bowed down. He put his hand on my shoulder and said goodbye. At that point, I woke up, and my bed was shaking as though I had just fallen onto it or had been jumping up and down. Wow. And that stayed with me ever since. Could that have been an out-of-body experience, or what do you think? Could have been. But you know something? The difference between dreams and out-of-body experiences, there's almost no difference. What it really is, and I went to a training course uh, this August at the Monroe Institute. Do you know Bob Monroe? The, 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 I've, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's the pioneer of out-of-body experiences back in the 60s. And he developed this institute in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is a beautiful campus. And uh, it was the most, one of the most fantastic things in my life to, to go to, to a six-day course there about how to do out-of-body experiences. And it was equivalent of a college course I swear, in the paranormal, I swear to God. But, the, but what I learned, though, it's really your consciousness is, is in two places. You have your subconscious and your conscious. The subconscious is, is, is your soul. Your, your soul split into two. Subconscious, conscious. The subconscious is in, on the astral planes, a.k.a. heaven. So when you are awake like we are now, your subconscious is dreaming, if you will, where we are right now. You and I are talking, and your sub, both of our subconsciouses are dreaming about this. When we go to sleep and we go into REM, more of our conscious energy flows to the subconscious, the part that's in heaven, and sort of that, that part wakes up, and we dream what he does on that side. And so 
out of body simply means is where most of your mental energy is at the time. Is it here in this three dimensions or is it in the fifth dimension, which is astral planes? Now, what's interesting is that when you go out of body and you like you know, those experiences of that, you actually step out of your body and you look down upon yourself on, on, the, on the bed, you're really in the ethereal planes. That's the fourth dimension. That's like a, a almost duplicate copy of this world. Except it's one, only one dimension, and you could feel there, but your hand—you could feel, but your hand kind of goes through things. But it, it's so that, that's a whole different topic. But but out of body means just where your consciousness is, and consciousness means that you are awake and you have control. You don't have control in your dreams most of the time, unless you have a vivid dream. But if you have control of wherever you are, whether I mean, have you have you, have you ever had a a lucid dream? Uh, hmm. I don't think so, but then again, I may have, but do not remember it. It is so cool because I've had a few, and, and it is so much fun because I remember this one I had. I was uh, I, I was walking in this dream down a hallway, and all of a sudden, it, something snapped my mind. I said, wait a minute, I'm in a dream. And I said, wait a minute, if I'm in a dream, that means I could do this. And I did a, like a Superman thing, like in, like the <laughs> Matrix when Neo would, would kind of flex his, his legs. Yes. And then I shot off and started flying. But <laughs> it wasn't a dream. I was doing it. Wow. And I'm flying down this hallway, and then I, I, I go through the ceiling. And, and you know, dreams, it's not a movie. It's really on that side. It, there's, it's a 3D also, but it's, it's a lot more, you know, a lot more porous, if you will. And then... I went down the hallway, and there's some ladies down the hall in this one big area, and, and I had <laughs> some fun down there. But, uh, but that was me stepping into my co- subconscious world, but I took control of it. So, uh, yeah, so I guess the summation here is that dreams and out-of-body, they're very, very similar. Yeah, but that actually takes me back to another show I was doing called uh, Dreams and Paranormal Phenomena. I had asked a caller if it's possible that when we are in the dream state, that the events that's occurring in our dreams, if it's actually another life that we are living, it's something that is as real as what we're having now. But as we sleep, we go into this other life and live our lives there. Is that something that very, it's, it's very close? What it boils down to is that, and this is physics. And what's interesting about my book is that I, I, I'm not trying to take physics in college, but I, I, I like studying science. So everything that I talk about in my book relates to science and physics. You know, this relates to string theory, different dimensions. But there's a part of physics where, and this is, you know, proven, or they're starting to prove this, is that thought, conscious thought, can move matter, can change matter. And it goes to the whole thing where as we as souls are actually very powerful and we create our own realities. And so this world that you and I belong in, this is a consensus reality. So this is you, Bob, contributing to it and me contributing to it. And so we, we share this reality. But we go in the dream world, that's our reality by itself. So we recreate, we, so when we go to the subconscious and we go to the astral planes and we create own, our own reality there, which is dreams, that, how is that different than, than here, actually? So, so what you say is actually true, except over there, that's my reality, and I'm, I'm in full control, and it could get pretty weird. 
But here, it's, it's a lot more restrained because it's consensus. And, and peep, I mean, it filters. Yes. Can two individuals have their realities in the dream state combine? As in, uh, your wife can enter in through your dream state at the same time that you're in it? Or... Ooh, you're getting to my second book. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You can. I learned after this this book or this, this sequence of this book how to make connections with people when they're dreaming. And actually, you saw, you saw a bit of that in, in Reincarnation Highway where uh, I uh, connected to my, my, my first wife, Julie. She's now ex-wife, but I connected to her as, as an ex. I haven't talked to her in years. And I forgot, as a test, though, to see if this is true, she works for a company that starts with an N, but I forgot the name of the company. So I thought, hey, here's a great way to test this. If I'm really talking to Julie, you know, and, the, and as a psychic, what would happen is I would ask to be connected when Julie was dreaming because her consciousness is in the, is in the subconscious or her consciousness moves to the subconscious, which means that I could communicate with the astral planes, which is where she's at. And so I was able to invade her space and her dreams, if you will. But that can just be my imagination. But I asked her to spell out her company that she works for. She's an executive in the company in Arizona. And she spelled out the name of the company. And I checked, and it was. So that was my validation that I was really communicating with her and really interacting in her dream. But she could not remember because... You know, that's her subconscious side was running that. You don't remember much of what you do on that side. I recently had a, another dream that was happening to me. This took place last year. I had helped raise a little girl from pretty much the time she was almost born to seven years of age. And her mother and I, we went our separate ways. For about 13 years, I've not seen this little girl. And then all of a sudden, she started to appear in my dreams. And I felt like something was happening that I needed to reach out to her. So I reached out to her on Facebook and we became friends on Facebook, started talking and we were going to meet up. But within weeks of before we were to meet up, she unexpectedly died. I'll just put it that way. And I think that that was either a warning for me that I did not understand at that point or the spiritual world was also telling me that if you want to reconnect with her, now is the time before it's too late. And that's exactly what it was. That's that's exactly what it was. Is is that, you know, like like I said that uh, I don't know if you read, read the part of my book where I I, I talk about I, I call him the adjustment bureau. I don't know if, I don't know if you ever saw that movie by uh, Matt Damon. Oh yes, that is more true to life than you believe. But they're not that they wear hats and, and that they're you know, almost Nazi-like. Those are our spirit guides pulling the strings behind the scenes to make sure that we get the lessons that we ask for. And they will go to almost any lanes to make that happen. Hmm. I've seen them lie. <laughs> you know, they're not Christian guardian angels. And not that they're bad, but they're going to make it happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so they'll, you know, in psychic messages, I mean, they'll lie to me, they'll manipulate you, and but they're all doing it for my good because I wanted a certain experience. I wanted, to, and even though I, it's, I don't like doing what I, I, I wanted to go through, they'll make sure that it happens. And so I think one of your guides or her guides say, hey, she's going to leave, she's going to check out, 
which is what you have every right to do, and actually you're in control of when you leave your your life now. And I think your your daughter was was leaving, and she wanted to make sure that she had a chance to say goodbye to you. Yeah. But but everything's good on that side. She's she's blissful, happy. Nobody wants to be down here. This is this is purgatory. And where she's at is just absolutely wonderful. Well, I think I may want to live for a thousand years. I mean, you never know what I, I want to see starships and all the, those great things come to be. Well, actually, but but you can. All you have to do is go back there, and you could either create the reality. You could create your own starship. I mean, you could do anything on that side, and I mean anything. Or there's a chapter given got you in, in my book. There's no time in heaven. So when you go back there, you can visit any time on Earth or any other planet anywhere in the universe, and you can go there instantaneously and 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 visit it. So who wants to wait a thousand years down here waiting for that to happen? Just go home and you you have it. <laughs> That's an interesting point, actually. Uh, Roger Ebert, the, the guy from Cisco and Ebert. Sure. When he died, right before he died, he had told his wife, and she wrote a book about this, that it's all in the elaborate hopes. And she asked him, what do you mean? He looked around and said, everything around us is an elaborate hopes. Over there, everything is happening all at once. The past the present, and the future. And Roger was also an atheist. He did not believe in God or the Spirit. And yet, right before he died, he said this. You know why? Because just before you die, a lot of times they, they let you in on the secret. You know, this is the kind of comfort you. Hey, don't worry, you're dying, but this is what you're going to. And they let him in on the secret. He's absolutely right. You know, my, my wife, you know, I call her Carol in the book. She's, mm-hmm. she's a no-nonsense type of person. Uh, uh, and uh, she has a hard time stomaching <laughs> when I talk about telling you the truth. Sometimes she calls me a schizophrenic. Uh, but I keep telling her, you know, she talks about, Frank, you need to be grounded in reality. And I keep telling her, hey, listen, you don't get it. This is not reality. This is a video game. <laughs> and you'll find out when you get back to the other side. So Robert, Roger Ebert is exactly right. This is a hoax. Or this is just one of many realities. And actually, it was uh, just recently, I think it was, that science is coming out saying that the universe itself is a hologram. Everything around us is a hologram. And that's coming from scientists. Yep, could be. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the universe is energy. Energy is pliable by thought. And, and matter is just hard energy. So, absolutely. Do you think we can, at some point, devise a electronic say glasses or something that will that can tie into the correct frequency and we can see into the fourth dimension since it's the closest one to us i would imagine is that something that might be possible i don't think so you don't need to do that you don't think so no just meditate <laughs> yeah that, that you know that's called that's called clairvoyancy when you i mean i don't i get Visions occasionally, as you know, in my book, I completely, I constantly complain about, I got this, this Ouija board uh, ability, which is cool. And I'm grateful for it. But I wanted what these other psychics have, you know, the ability to hear and and to see. So I, I, once in a while, I I get the the, the ability to see and it's really cool. But what all that is, is that I, I have the ability to see into that fourth dimension, into that, that next 
into that next dimension. And so I don't need glasses. I just had to change the frequency in my head. And anybody could do it if they want it bad enough. You got to want it bad enough. And you got to put the work into it. And you'll either get one of the three, you'll get, or all three, you know, clairvoyancy, which is you could see, clairaudience, which means you could hear what's going on over there, or you can feel or you get insight. And, uh, you know, I, I just ran across an old girlfriend from 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah, and that's part of the, the, the book I'm working on now. And, uh, you know, we had a very close relationship, but she wasn't a psychic then, and I wasn't either. But she read my book and reconnected with me. And she says, I can't believe you're into this. I've got these abilities too. And it just happened late in her life. But man, she's got the whole shebang. I mean, she can see, she can hear, she can feel. She can go to the astral plane when she meditates. She, she talks to her dead brother or her mom. I mean, it's just a matter. It's happening more and more that people are getting, getting these, these abilities. But, but she got to meditate. Yes. Now, going back to your book, it's toward the beginning, actually. One of your first girlfriends, or it might have been your first girlfriend when you were an adult, her family was a pure Catholics, and here you were an atheist. Yep. Uh, that had to have been quite an interesting relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, because they, they couldn't stand me. But, you know, the, the universe has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. They didn't like me because I wasn't Catholic. But the ironic thing is that in most of my past lives that I know about, I was Mr. Catholic. I was an archbishop once. I was an abbot of a monastery once. I was a leader, uh, you know, a military leader for the Catholic forces in the Germany's 30-year war. Um, so I was <laughs> more Catholic than these people <laughs> ever dream of being, but yet I was persecuted for not being Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually looked at the statue of the uh, archbishop that you at one time were, uh -huh. and uh, he was standing on quite an interesting... Um, Something or another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, that, that's a medieval thing, you know, but that, that shows what a bad character I was. I mean, I've always, yeah. you know, most past lives, I've been a really bad guy. And so yeah. there's a statue that, that I'm, I was a very powerful guy in Cologne, Germany at the time in the 1200s. But they honor me with that statue after I die. And it's a kind of obscene of a monk doing only what a dog can do to himself. Uh, but it was like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the city people <laughs> coming their their middle finger at me for, for what I did to them. But, you know, it's all part of the fun. <laughs> I imagine it's so high up that if you're standing down at the bottom, you can't really see it though. So that's a good thing. Uh, I was just there. I was there, just there this past summer. Yeah, you can see it. Oh my. <laughs> and you know what, about what's really interesting about the summer? Uh, and you could, you could see the, 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 blog post I have on my website, I actually went to visit my own tomb. Mm. Uh, my, my tomb is in the Cologne Cathedral. And uh, not only is my tomb there, but I've, I got a mosaic of me down the floor, and so I got some pictures of that. And I actually left a white rose at my tomb, so that, I think that's pretty ironic. What was that like for you? You know, you thought that, you know, that's a good question. You know, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to start to vibrate or, you know, have some emotion or some, you know, big beam of light's going to come out of the... Uh, uh, the stained glass windows that, that I'm near my body. Well, it turned out that my body's not really there because in the, uh, around the time of Napoleon, the French troops sacked or were leaving Cologne and they, they, they 
took all the bodies in the church and they sacked them for their, and they, they threw all the bones in the street. So it was just my sarcophagus, if you will, that was there. So, um, but it was it was interesting. I mean, I was, I'm gazing upon my face. You know, it's a statue or or it's a statuary in, in copper, and I'm looking at my face. So it's it's kind of interesting just to kind of stare at your old face. So yeah, it, it was it was a moving experience. Have you ever tried to reach out to some of your relatives uh, of the lives that you've lived in the past? You know, um, not my relatives, but my comrades. Mm. They they come to visit me, which is kind of interesting and kind of touching. Uh, there's a Two comrades in arms. Uh, one, when I was a Scottish villager, this is in the late 700s when the Vikings were just starting to invade. Uh, I was one of the village, uh, not elders, but you know, one of the mature young men at the time, maybe a village leader. Okay. And the, and the Vikings uh, were invading our village. And uh, so uh, my brother and I and some of the villagers, you know, took up our arms and, and were trying to defend the village. And, uh, and, uh, and my brother-in-law, who's my side of me, uh, fell in battle or, you know, like a tripped or something fell. And, and so I was standing over his body with my shield trying to protect him. And while I was distracted, uh, one Viking took his axe and, and, and disemboweled me. Ouch. Ouch, yeah. Well, that, that's one of the lives. And so um, what's interesting is that uh, my name was Gorman then and his name was Zul. And uh, and so working with my, my psychic trainer, it's a long story, but... Uh, he was watching me. He came into this, not in this life, but as in spirit form to watch me walk my dog. Uh, but just to kind of say hello and, and, and to, even though I'm, I'm, you know, in this life here that, that he still remembers and, 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 and want to be close to me because I, I try to save his life. Or I, I get these visions of, um, of a young German soldier who I was very close to. I kind of had a, a, an older brother relationship with him. He was in my, my little squad. And uh, he survived me, but he eventually died in, in a Russian prison camp after the war. But uh, he flashes symbols to me, like of a you know German chevron, his rank, or or, or the Iron Cross. And uh, <clears throat> and actually learning about his what happened to him, you know, caused me to uh, uh, get emotional uh, at one point in the, in the book. Like, and that's what really hit me that, that all these lives, all the blood, you know, like what is this all for? And I, I got a little depressed. But uh, so yeah, it, they, I reach out to them. Well, it's not so much family members, but it, it's comrades in arms, you know, where we shared a really tough experience together. Speaking of tough experiences shared together, in your book, you you talk about being Otto Kosterman. Is that how you pronounce the last name? Yeah. Okay. And that there was a passing soldier that was in the SS mm-hmm. that passed you by. And later in life, you actually came to meet this same soldier, but in this life, he has now become a woman and a beautiful woman at that <laughs> um you know there's something i've always wondered are souls genderless yes because as a christian you know as a christian we're raised yes. that homosexually is not only wrong but condemnable by the death by god because the soul has this gender but i've never really bought into that so essentially our home is homosexuality Caused, in your opinion, because I've considered this myself, caused by the conscious connection with a past life memory or emotion that this soul at some point used to be the other gender. Yeah, I believe that. You know, I I really believe that. I I know 
you know, of, of my current relatives, you know, I would ask, you know, was he a woman in a past life? And it's always the softer guys, you know, not that they're, not, they're not manly, but um, the softer guys were, were a woman in the past life. So it's kind of like your soul is, is born into this world, but you really start out as your prior person or, or personality, and then you grow into this new one as, as you grow up. And so you start with that. So I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is for the experience, the experience of being persecuted, the experience of, of being abused, and that you need to rise above it. And so souls choose sometimes to be gay just to, just to experience a really tough life and, and, to, and, to, and to rise above it. And so they, they do it for the challenge. And so that's part of it. I mean, God is all loving, and God does not condemn anybody. No, there is no hell. Everybody goes back to heaven. It's, a, it's like, like Roger Ebert says. This is a, a what's he say, a hoax? or a, a, An elaborate hoax. Elaborate hoax. It's just, it's just a video game to, to feel things. And so, but part of the, of the video game is that you have Christianity that, that says, hey, you're going to get damned for this. You're going to get persecuted for this. Well, that's part, all part of the game. They're up in the ante. So it's all part of, you know, it's, it's all part of God's work. And to go on with that, the, that could also be the reason why there are so many religions that claim we are the one religion. Because, again, like you said, it's all about the persecution, the experience, and just the, the learning experience. Exactly. But, and that is the whole point of the video game. We are sorted into teams. And those teams are set against each other. And to pass this video game and to stop coming back down here, you got to learn to l- rise above it. You got to rise above. You know, if if you're, you know, if you're homophobic and and, and persecute you know gays and, and and curse them, you may feel that strongly, but but you got to you know lovingly accept. I mean, I thought you condone, but you could say, hey, you know, this is your life. You know, do what you do, but I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to to persecute you. And I'm going to accept you as you are. It doesn't mean you have to have in your life. You know what I mean? You, you create your own reality. But you got to respect everybody else, as long as they're not abusing you. And that's, that's the whole part of this game. That's how you win this game, is to rise above it. So that, why do you have Jews versus Muslims and Muslims against Christians? It's all part of these different sides. It's all part of the fight. And you got to rise above it. And it's so hard because Earth is the toughest posting for a soul. This is the toughest video game in the universe. Because I, I noticed that you deal a lot with aliens you know, on your show. Yes. Well, guess what? As a soul, you could be an alien. Huh. And you go for the alien experience. But you know something? That alien experience is easier <laughs> than the Earth experience. <laughs> how, how would you determine that the alien experience is easier than what we have it here on the Earth as humans? Well, it's just what I read from, um, you know, uh, besides, you know, I, I use, uh, you know, my, my psychic trainer and other psychics, and I, uh, I read a lot, too. I read a lot of other psychics because they talk about their conversations with the other side, and you pick up so many snippets and nuggets of knowledge, and, and that came out uh, as far as what life planning is and what's available to you as a soul. Earth is not the only place you can go. There is so much that you can go to. 
But this amusement park, I mean, people, people or other souls, most other souls will not touch this place because it is too tough. They think we're crazy for coming down here. We are the brave. We're badasses. We are badasses. We're the brave <laughs> ones. And when we go back there, man, we got some cred. Now, I know in your book that you listed, I believe, nine of your lives. But at the same time, you claim that you've lived 99 lives. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what they told me. I, I've got 99 under my belt. How did you get to uh, find out the nine lives that you've listed? Well, that was part of the uh, journey. Uh, they would, you know, I was told, you know, I, I went to these psychic training courses. And we're Columbus, Ohio, where, where I live, or this area, is a hotbed of psychic activity. Uh, there's just a lot of psychics here. Underground, I mean, you, you wouldn't know that we're here. I mean, there's doctors, lawyers, you know, business bankers, uh, you know, single moms, you know, gay people. I mean, every, every every kind of person out there. But a lot of us, you know, proportionally have have this ability. So we kind of congregate and we, we train and we, we talk and we share. So I had the resources of Lori, uh, who was that that XS, SS trooper who's a fantastic psychic who, who told me that we had this past and I later found out it was true. I mean, she was really tuned into my past and told me a lot about my life and the details. And Brenda Pasani, my, my psychic trainer, same thing. Uh, she was able to fill in and tell me about these lives. And then Stacy Wells, who's a, a national psychic in Arizona, who specializes in pre-birth planning. And if you really want to know what your life's all about, go to Stacy Wells because she tells about the process about how you design this particular life you're in. It's really illuminating. But it's by going to these sources and also through my own research that I put together the details of these lives and, and actually about why they happened, why each one was important. But uh, I'll ruin the book for you, Bob. But there's a reason why I kept getting killed. Why was that? There's a reason. It's karma. Karma. You'll find as you go forward in the book that even though I had a number of bad lives, I had one really, really bad life where oh. I was one badass guy. Um, I was the, probably one of the most dangerous men in Europe at the time, and that was in the 1600s. Big guy. Excellent swordsman. Just um, you know, uh, Brenda described me as, as linebacker sized. Uh, I was a nobleman. I was a soldier, but I was uh, a, I was in it for for the looting and the raping. But I was a nobleman, so I can't get away with it. And I just and I was just a monster in the battlefield, and that's no problem. I mean, battlefields are there for you know that, that's understood. You know, you go in the battlefield, you take your chances, or there's there's if you kill somebody in the battlefield, you don't get punished for it but I killed seven innocent people as, as, as almost like, a, and I get into the reasons why, I mean, it's not justified at all, but I killed seven innocent people who are not supposed to go. And so I had a debt, a karmic debt of seven lives to pay back. And so that's why I have six of those lives. Um, that that's why I died. And I still got one floating out there. So if you hear that I go down a flame someplace or get shot, <laughs> you paid off the last last installment. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I'll just tell you that right now. Well, you'll see at the very last chapter, uh, I, I reconnect with my dad again, uh, and he says, "No, nope, listen, the good worker you're doing this life gets you off the hook." So I hope my dad's right. 
Have you ever reconnected on this side with any of the lives that you have killed? You know something? Uh, that is a very good question, and I did. And uh, it, it's not in the book. Uh, this happened uh, a year or two after the book was, was done. But I go see my, my psychic trainer on a quarterly basis, you know, and uh, she got this uh, message that to get past this, I needed to apologize. I needed to apologize to every one of those. And so I, I put together a little ceremony with candles, and I got down on my knees, and I contacted every one of those personalities on the other side. And I apologize for what I did, and I asked for the for, for the forgiveness. You know, and tears are streaming down my face, but uh, I received forgiveness for for what I did. Yes, huh? That's quite interesting. Have any of these people that you've killed ever come to you in a physical form? No, no, not that I know of. Well, I really want to get onto. I I I, fi- I found this Native American to be very sassy. I think his name was Shim. <laughs> that describes him. Yeah. He, he had an attitude with you. Oh, big time. Big time. Uh, that's interesting. That's, that's really... Have you ever seen somebody get channeled? I've seen it on TV, but I'm not sure whether it's real or if it's not real. Uh, well, you know, I, I thought the same thing when I, was saw, when I saw this for the first time. It was the most amazing... Well, I got to see a lot of amazing things in my life, but that was just amazing. And what that's all about, for the folks who know, don't know about this, is that you know our bodies are our, our vehicles, and so some spirits, if, if they if you allow them, and if you're psychic, you can channel them, which means that you kind of step out of your body for the moment and you let them come in, and they use your body, and they can walk around it, and they can talk to you, and and uh, and I had this experience. There's this management consultant named Greg. In, in Columbus, and, and his mom always channeled this Indian chief, and then she died, and this Indian chief, Shem, moved on to him. And so during one of these psychic training classes, Greg demonstrated this. I saw it as a great opportunity to actually talk to somebody. I mean, to instead of having some other psychic interpret it for me or me just getting yes and no's, here I can just put out a yes and I could ask a question and, and get a response and do a follow-up. It's a great way to find out what goes on the other side. And so um, I, 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 I interacted with this Shem, and, and it, was, it was fantastic. But the second time I encountered him, he was really chippy. And, and I think it's probably helping out in the book to give it some, some, some real flavor. But he starts getting out of my case about my psychic ability, about how I'm doing it wrong, and you can't do this yes and no stuff. You need to open up your heart so you can you know, hear and see. I'm going, hey, pal. I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, this is what the guys give me. You know, I'm doing my best. And so we're kind of, the, the temperature sort of rising as we're kind of chewing at each other. And uh, what was funny was that at the time, it was like when I was getting, I was at the time of my sort of depression about learning about all my deaths. I didn't know what it was all about at the time. And I told him, I said, finally, he got really got to me. And, he, and, I, and I, I lost my anger. I said, and listen, you guys, I am sick of coming down here. I am sick of being killed. This is the last damn time I'm coming down on earth. And he looks at me and he goes, you don't make that decision down there. That's only done over here. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and then, and then case, a little bit more. And I'm thinking, Hey, look, I'm a warrior. You're a warrior. You better show some respect. So I, I, I gave him a, a little bit of, of Indian terminology. You know how Indians, how they claim victory in, in, in their battles. They count coup. I go, listen, Shem, 
I count a coup of my enemies. And he goes, and what does that have to do with this life? (laughs) (laughs) That's great comic relief. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also got to the point where you were having shoulder pains and other pains in your body. And what it came down to, uh, actually, I'll let you get to that. Yeah, that was early on in my adventures. You know, I, I just discovered, you know, I just got my, my, my Ouija board experience where I could put out a question to the universe and I get back a yes and a no. And that would be with my head involuntary, involuntarily shaking yes or no. And it's a cumbersome system, but, you know, if you keep working it, you can get dates, names, places. Um, so I, I went with it. But, I, you know, what's important as a psychic is that you need validations. And validations are uh, where they reveal things that only that only that you know about, or that are really, really amazing. And so, uh, and or a validation of what you're going through is real. And so, um, at the time, I, I had some athletic injury in my shoulder. I forgot. And so, I was going to this massage therapist, Tony, who's you know part of the uh, uh, kind of New Age Society down here, anyway. And Tony has is psychic himself, but he doesn't advertise that at all. Uh, but Tony is an energy worker, and and so he's the one who who verified that I went out of body because he described his out of body experience to me. So he's really helpful to me at the, at the beginning of this journey. But he also, when he's working on my shoulders, says, "Hey, I sense this knife blade, this image of a knife blade, or this energy of a knife blade in your left shoulder here." And he could sense it, and, and he drew it out, and, and it was painful to him because there was like, like bad electricity, you know, that that popped out of my shoulder, and went into his body. But he was helpful to to verify that what I was feeling was was real. So that that was another interesting part of my my journey. Uh, is this unusual, or was that is that something that will actually happen to a lot of people that if they are stabbed or killed somehow in another life that they will bring? Some type of uh, energy wound with them. That's what Tony said, and I, I sort of believe it because there's a part in my book where, at, at the end, I, I, ended, I ended with this. I ended this chapter when he said, "Hey, that stab wound in your shoulder—that's not the only wound you have in your body. You have wounds all over your body." And that sort of led on to the story that, okay, let's find out about these wounds and and let's let's find out why. Are these wounds hurting? Have have they hurt you? Have you felt the pain from them physically? No, no, I, I wouldn't say it. But maybe, maybe psychically, you know, maybe it's a downer. You know, maybe after you get rid of them, you, you feel better. So it's not as if you're walking around with a, you know, your shoulders dragging. But I think you know, for spirit, you know, if you get rid of this this this, this bad energy, I, I think overall you're better. And I'm better. I, I am better as a person than I was five years ago. I, I could say that much better. You know, just for the benefit of everybody listening. You were an atheist for a long time, but when did you begin this journey? How long ago now? It started in uh, January 2009. But what's interesting, though, is that the clues of where I was supposed to go was there my entire life. And that had to do with my obsession, my obsession with World War II. Uh, ever since a young age, I was always interested in World War II. And I don't come from a German family. You know, my family is, is really Italian and Czech. I come from the Cleveland area, which is kind of you know, kind of ethnic up there, you know, it's not Anglo-Saxon. So I don't come from a German background, but yet I'm fascinated with the Germans. I'm fascinated with, with, with watching Germans on, on, on those, you know, those 60s uh, World War II shows. 
and I'm, and I'm rooting for the Germans. Why would that be? I'm an American. And then as time goes on, I, 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 my wife and I developed this business that really works out, and I have extra money to, to, to buy toys or a collection. I started, I started buying German weapons from World War II that were on the Eastern Front. Why would I do that? And, and eventually, I, I started putting these weapons, and they had to be German, and they had to be from the Eastern Front. God knows why. Uh, and, I, and I put them in my, my, my den or, or like my little man cave downstairs, and it turned into, and I look at it, I said, wait a minute, I just made a shrine to the German soldiers of the Eastern Front. What is that all about? <laughs> but that was what I call my homing beacon, so that when I got the psychic powers and I, and I first discovered this yes and no thing, I said, can I ask you questions? And, it said, and the, my head shakes, yes. Because of that obsession, I said, was I a German soldier in World War II? Yes. I go, oh, my God. That starts explaining some things. And I said, well, who was I? And then when did I die? Where did I die? And, you know, and then because I, I knew so much about the war and I studied so much, you know, I, I, <clears throat> everything started falling into place. And I also did some hypnoregression, too, where uh, the, the story of, of Otto came out. So the hypnoregression and, and the psychic readings about these about that that particular life, they all fit together like puzzle pieces. Have you ever r returned to any of these battlefields that you've been a part of as Otto or any of the other lives? No, uh, no, not not as Otto. That's all in the East. You know, I fought on the Russian front, so I, I never been East. But I, I did visit Cologne, where I where I held sway and uh, uh, started my stuff there. So I, I did go home there. And I was really trying on this, this family European vacation. I was trying to get to this castle in Czechoslovakia because that's where my bad apple soul, oh, the, the bad guy, he stole so much money. He actually bought himself his own, his own castle. My portrait, I mean, it's now a tourist attraction, that, that castle. It's, it's northeast, northeast of Prague. But my portrait, life-size portrait, is there in the trophy room. And I so wanted to go back to my castle and see the image of myself. And at my desk over here, I, I've got a, a little picture that I took off from the web where I could see myself. <clears throat> and I'm just as Brenda described, you know, tall, big, black hair, long black hair, scraggly black beard. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't make it. So that would, that would be another place that I, I could have visited. Now, now, I do wonder, we've talked about this kind of when you were going back to the uh, Archbishop of Cologne. I would have to imagine that there's some type of spiritual energetic substance going on when you are there, because this is your past life, that past memories will come to you at some point, like if you go to the castle, because you've lived your life there before, this was your home. Something You would get some sort of a weird feeling coming across you, or even memories. Well, it, you know, interesting as far as memories. Uh, yeah, that, that did happen. I actually had, there's, there's two things that manifested. One was that when we came out of the train station in Cologne and stepped out of the train station, the, the cathedral was right there, and I broke into this biggest grin. You know, it's like, it's like that's my cathedral. That's it. I'm the one who established this thing. And I, I had the, the, the craziest grin on my face. So I think that's the most emotional thing that, that came out of that. But... I also brought with me some hypnoregression tapes uh, that 
kind of puts you in a hypnotic state, which is similar to meditation anyway. And I was actually, you know, at, in Cologne that night in the hotel room. It was quiet, and I, I did meditation, and I did this impression thing. Um, I actually saw myself, not myself, but I, I was at, uh, I was a military archbishop, meaning that I was, I had an army that I used for my, my purposes. And so I was at a barracks. It was a wooden barracks, and I, I saw inside the barracks, and then we had on a stone wall, one of my soldiers was working on, on uh, on the on the stone wall, you know, the defensive wall, and I saw him in his armor. So, uh, yeah, I mean that that that's some of the things I I did see. Not much, but but I did see it. Since you lived your life for the most part as an atheist, what would you say to other atheists who may be listening to this and they're like, it's all baloney. He's making this up. What what would you say to someone else that, like I said, that's also an atheist? I won't say anything. You know, something's a good good question. You and you know why? You ask that question from the standpoint of Christianity. Christianity says, hey, you got to get on board with Jesus, and if you don't, you're going to hell. So Christians have this, this need in, in, in the religion to, to save others. Well, because of what you know, Roger Ebert says, where he's right, this is all hoax, you can be whatever you want to be. This is your reality. This is what you want to be. This is what you want to experience. So uh, uh, I don't say anything. You know, if, if, if anybody's interested, they want to talk about it, I'm there for them. And But I'm not out, you know, uh, pro, you know uh, trying to convert anybody because it's not my damn business. This is, this is an atheist ride. And I completely respect where they're coming from. This is what they want to be. And you know something? They're going to heaven too. <laughs> so it's okay. I understand what you're saying, because if someone had come up to you and tried to convince you that reincarnation was real, that they, if you did not follow this on your own path, on your own journey, you never would have bothered with it. No, heck no. One other thing before I let you discuss whatever it is you would like to discuss before we head off. Over the years, I, we were talking about leaving your body, an out-of-body experience. And over the years, you might have heard this as well, but that if you leave your body by will, that you are essentially leaving your house door wide open with a sign that says, hey, nobody's home, and there's the possibility of another soul to come and take over your body. Do you have any thoughts concerning that? You know, it's a good question and maybe a, a logical thought, but that's not really true. You're, it's like a, a teeter-totter. Maybe I need a better analogy for this, but it's like a teeter-totter with a beach ball that goes on the tr on the bar between, you know, the the two seats on the teeter-totter, and so it's it's most of your conscious energy, you know, is is flowing back and forth on a teeter-totter, depending if you're sleeping or or if you're awake. But and so, but it's it's part of your energy or most of your energy, but you know, some of your energy still stays in your body. So it's not as if nothing's there. It's just that a good portion is left, and, and if that makes sense. So it's not as if you know something else is going to come and take over your body like Shem. I mean, Shem came into that body because Greg allowed him. And I remember, yeah, and, and to, uh, oh, before we start, I got, I got to tell the story about what Shem said. I didn't put it in the book, but I know you'd be interested in this. But, but going back to this, Shem was one time trying to get into Brenda's body, and she goes, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> so you've got control of it. You're not going to lose your body. 
but uh, I got to share this with you about Shem. I, I didn't put this in the book because I didn't want it the you know, that was wild enough as it is, and I didn't want the, the credibility to go down even more. But Shem said something really unusual, and he was talking about aliens. And he said, out of the blue, that our government knows about aliens and that they're hiding the evidence. And he goes, it's not really right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so take it for what you will. <laughs> yes. There's actually a saying, I think it was uh, Snowden, at least there's rumors that Snowden, I forgot his first name. Mm-hmm. but uh, like Eric, I think. Yeah. I think, it's Eric, I think it's Eric. Okay, Eric Snowden, there are rumors that he's released documents that have proven that white aliens are in control of the government. And, and Russia is also running with this news story. I've heard that. Um, I, I couldn't say. Of course, you know, with, with what's going on in Washington, uh, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all alien to me, man, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank, you know, I've really, really enjoyed this being with you today. Uh, reading your book, it's almost as though I've been reading the experiences of a long lost friend and considering reincarnation, you never know. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We may have been together sometime. Absolutely. If there's anything you would like to discuss about my journey down the reincarnation highway or any of your upcoming projects, I'd like to go ahead and give you this opportunity to do so now. Well, great. I appreciate it, Bob. Yeah, folks who are interested in my book uh, can get it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble online, and there's some other outlets, too. Uh, you can go to my website at Reincarnation Highway, all one word, reincarnationhighway.com. And I have a links there that, that, that will take you to where, uh, which format's the best for you, like Google or, or Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And I also got, uh, my blogs there and, uh, as far as my latest psychic adventures and what I've been doing, which is kind of interested or interesting if, if, if folks are interested in that. And then, uh, you know, one kind of thing is interesting is that even though my book deals a lot with military history and weapons and that, and that sort of thing, sort of a male-orientated book, most of my readers are female. Hmm. And, yeah, I think because females are more open to this. And, and most of my fan letters come from women. And so my second book is going to be for the ladies. And uh, I'm writing it now, but it's about a psychic love affair. And this is a true story about how the uh, spirits have brought me together with this, this other woman and they were behind it all. They were, they were pulling the strings with this other woman who's a psychic. And uh, it, it's a fascinating story about uh, what happens when, when two psychics get together from a, from, a, from a romantic relationship. So I think, uh, I think the ladies are really, really interested in this. Guys would too, but, but uh, so I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to go to where, uh, where, where the interests lie, <laughs> so to speak. So that should be out in about another year. Okay. And what does your wife think about you getting all these fan letters from women? <laughs> she doesn't pay attention. <laughs> She's only read half my book, so it's like... <laughs> and it's not that kind of fan letter. <laughs> they want to they do fun things with me. They say thank you. And, and, that's, and that's what it's all about. Yes. You know, if I could help somebody explain to think that that's what makes it all great. Well, one other thing, really. Uh, how does your wife handle this? Is she... I've read a little bit of this, but is she opening up to this even more, or is she trying to stay closed? Stay closed. 
Mm. Yeah, one one time she she had a, a meditation. She did meditation. She was making progress. Scared the heck out of her. And um, you know, and, and and despite me taking her to readings where her her relatives would talk to her or my dad would talk to her, and she gets it, but she doesn't believe in this past life stuff. She thinks I'm making it up. So, hey, so it's it's your own reality. You know what I mean? If there is there any message you would like to share with someone that you received might have received a profound message from the other side and you might share that with someone, what would that be? Well, I would share it with, with, with our country. Uh, there is a change going on. Uh, the other side is not happy with this video game, how we're doing down here. Uh, we are messing up heaven uh, because people go back with... Uh, Oh, with bad preconceived notions, or, or they're kind of polluted by this place. So they're going to shake the game up here. They're going to make it uh, less populated, and they're going to make it more spiritual down here. And so uh, the, we are going to go through a major change. And, it, and it's all this is all buzzing in the psychic community. Um, but we're going to see some, some really bad economic crashes uh, starting next year, late next year. Bad inflation. Uh, I mean, people are going to hurt. People will be hungry in this country, and it's going to keep right on rolling into you know into major uh, 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 end of the world type of stuff. Not that the end of the world's ending, but it, it's going to be really, really bad. And so, um, I w- so I'd say, stock your food, folks, and stock your water, <laughs> and meditate. If you, if you meditate, you're going to be uh, you're gonna be, you're going to be ahead of the game, shall we say? Because they, they want they want spiritual people on this earth. Well, Frank, thank you again for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. And anytime you'd like to come back, you are more than welcome. Especially when your new book is released. Well, I love that, Bob. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, you have a great day. And again, thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Bob. Mm-hmm. You take care. Uh, what an amazing and interesting program we just had, ladies and gentlemen. There is something on the way, apparently, and what that something is, it may change our lives dramatically in the upcoming years. Are you prepared? Are we prepared for what Frank just said, that people in this country, we're going to be starving, even at a greater level than where we're at right now. Where are we going as a country? Where are we going as a world Whereas this, as Frank called it, this video game that we are destroying each other through hatred, through egotisms. Just think about that, folks. Where do we want to be in 10 years? And what would it take for us to be there? 